Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. As I approach coming here uh, this weekend, um, we don't have set sermons that we go, we'll do that and that. We're prophets, we're just walking with the Lord and the Lord just out of the blue just speaks to us and tells us what to say and what to do because that's the whole point. It's meant to be His words, not our words. Can you hear an amen? And as I was just uh, just spending time with Him, honestly, wasn't thinking about you, sorry, but I was just enjoying God. And God spoke to me so clearly. He said, Sunday morning at Bordertown, God said to me, I want you to speak on five attributes of a New Testament church from the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 8, and Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And then I want you to speak on preaching Jesus from Acts number 2. And that's what he said to me, just like that. So that's what I'm going to do. So today we're going to talk about five attributes of a New Testament church. And when he said that to me, I had no idea what the attributes were. I didn't know if there was three, five, seven, but he said five. So I read these scriptures and we're about to read them together. And then I looked in the realm of the Spirit and the Lord said, this is what I want you to speak into. So you ready, church? Praise the name of the Lord. We're going to jump in. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. We're going to read this through. And then we're going to pick up the attributes and expand on them. I just want to give you context. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he is around for 40 days before he ascended. And this is in those 40 days when he's with the disciples. How many people know that in the last 40 days if Jesus said some stuff, we probably should pay attention. Come on, he's about to leave the future of the church, the future of the world in the hands of the people that he had deposited in. This is important. Let's pick it up, Acts 1, 4 to 8. On one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus liked to eat. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and I asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jump across with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let me just say as a side, everyone listen and look this way. You can all be together in one place, but not be together. There's no redundant words in the Bible. It could have says, and the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place. Or it could have said, and the day of Pentecost, they were all together. But it says, in the day of Pentecost, they were all together and they were in one place. It's exactly the same as Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people dwell together 
in unity. Well, surely if you're dwelling together, you're in unity. Or if you're in unity, you're dwelling together. No, it's the same as this. God is not looking for a people who are in the same room. He's looking for a people who are in the same room and in the same spirit, the spirit of God, not fighting for rights, but it's not about what I want. It's about the kingdom of God. You can have people living in the same home, but they are in the same roof, but they are not living in harmony. Let's not pride ourselves on coming to church. Let's actually raise the bar and be people that come together in one accord, in unity. Jesus Himself said in John 17, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And His prayer before He went back to heaven is this, God, would you make them one even as we are one? Unity is a big deal to God. And listen to me, church, unity has got nothing to do with agreeing about issues. It's got to do with me being in spirit and you being in spirit and you being in spirit and you being in spirit. And when we're all in spirit, God is seen, not me, not you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Woo! <sighs> I feel like I've got a rocket pack on my back and it's just been lit I feel like you know those you know, when you blow up a balloon and then you let it go and it goes that's how I feel about right now suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, say it with me, all of them. Now, the rest of you who didn't say it, do what you're told. All of them, one more time, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I'm about to get it. No, I'll, I'll try and... Jesus, help me. Let's look at five attributes. Are you good, church? Come on, draw it out of me. Draw it out of me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Attribute number one that the Lord highlighted to me is be where God tells you to be until... Oh, my notes just disappeared. Hallelujah. No, it's not there, it's here. <laughs> be where God tells you to be until God tells you to leave. This is where the rake needs to come out, people. No shovels. Be where God tells you to be. And we see that again in Acts 1 verse 4. This is where we see it. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. Hallelujah. Can I just say to you that God knows where you should be, where you should be there? And God knows when you should leave. And we must not leave prematurely, but nor should we delay longer than God has said. Can I just encourage you people that this was said to people who had just done three and a half years of the Bible school of Jesus Christ. This was not to a new Christian. This was not to someone who knew nothing. They had walked with Jesus three and a half years. They had seen and been part of the miracles. They had been sent out on mission. They were the ones that were given authority over demons. They were give, the ones who could preach the gospel. 
And if anybody was ready to go out and plant a church and do what God said, it was the 12 disciples, 11 at that time. Are you with me, church? And to those people who were ready and itching to go, we're ready to go on mission. Jesus is about to go. He goes, great, let's get started. Here you go. Don't leave. Many times we're starting something prematurely. But the Word of the Lord, this attribute is be where God tells you to be until God tells you to leave. And these are the statements the Lord said to me. Don't rush out of your prayer closet. The place of your quiet time, be where God tells you to be. Come on. Early in the morning will I rise up, I'll seek you. I'll meditate on your word day and night. I'll pray with our system. We're called to be praying people, people of intimacy with God. Can I hear an amen from any believer? The Lord says, don't rush out of that time. Be where God tells you to be until God tells you to leave. Don't rush on from your present assignment. If God's given you something to do, I'm speaking prophetically to you as a church. I'm speaking to you pastors. I'm speaking to you leaders. I'm speaking to you front row, back row, every person. Don't rush on from your present God-given assignment. It's finished when God says it's finished. Like in the army, your last, assignment, your last command is your present command until you get a new command. Hallelujah. Don't take shortcuts to God's plan. Be where God tells you to be until God says, move. Do you know when I minister, I'm doing this constantly. I've got notes, but I'm listening to the Holy Ghost. Sometimes I go to move on to something. He goes, no, I'm not finished. Stay right where you are. Other times I'm going to read through my notes. I'm going through my notes like it happened on Friday night. And he told me there's a whole bunch. You don't know it because you didn't see my notes. But he goes, jump past that, jump past that. Okay, go to here. I don't have the right, the luxury of doing what I want when I've got a microphone in my hand and I've been given the responsibility to come and preach. It's got nothing to do with what I want. I, I, I yearn for the day where believers, we wake up to the truth that our rights, our will should be nailed to the cross. Too many Christians are fighting for your rights and you only have one right. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. And so we need to be where God has taught us to be. Don't shortcut it. Are you with me, church? Don't take shortcuts to God's plan. The devil tried to get Jesus to do this in the wilderness temptation. If you'll worship me, you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. I'll give you the world. You don't have to do it. Did you know that? He was trying to say to Jesus, you don't have to do that. Let's shortcut it. No, we be where Jesus tells us to be until he tells us to move on. Abraham did do this huh, with Hagar. And now we've got the Ishmaelites. The wars that we see in the world today is because Abraham did not remain in faith where God told him to remain in faith and he thought, I'll help God out because God's taking too long. Did you know that? Hmm. Don't underestimate God's prescribed foundation for his church. Attribute number two. I'm not going to labor these. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's attribute number two. And some of you would say, well, 
we would expect you to say that, Stephen, in a Pentecostal church. This is one of those places where I might step on some toes. Father, help me. What would happen? Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What would happen if every church, which is one church globally, if we came back and we did church the way that the church was birthed? There wasn't different denominations. There was, there was one church met in different regions. And, I, and this is where I might step on toes. They were all Pentecostal. Remember, we're talking to the ones who could preach, the ones who could do miracles, the ones who could do fellowship and hospitality. We're talking to the ones who three and a half years of Bible school and Jesus said to them effectively, mate, you can do all this. You could run all these things by yourself. You could do it all. Listen to me, church. You could do it all. But I need you to wait and remain in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit because I don't want you leading a church if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't throw rocks, read your Bible. I'm just calling us back to what he said. That's what he said. That's what he said. But I want to say, and let's read it. Acts 1 verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to wait for. Chapter 2, verse 4, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Some people say, I don't like the tongue thing. My response would be, well, God does. One of the great curses of the day is a reliance upon intellectualism in the church and in the world that we can work it all out, we can understand it. When I understand it, I believe God. That's not called faith. In fact, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, your spirit, your, your soul, and don't lean, rely upon your own understanding. Do you know one of the greatest benefits of speaking in tongues? It insults your intellect. It makes it bow its knee, because I don't understand this. Exactly, because we have made a God and an idol out of understanding things. And it's actually reduced our faith to something that is weak and insipid and there's no power in it. No, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. We need the Holy Spirit to fill every part of us. Can I hear an amen? You might argue that when I got saved, I got filled with the Spirit of God. You cannot be born again unless the Spirit of God comes in you. Let's make that theologically clear. Are you with me? Come on, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? But don't stop there. Who you receive from God, uh, you were bought with a price. You are no longer your own. Come on, you've been bought. You've been bought. Now honour God with your whole life. If you're born again, you've got the Spirit of God living in you. Are you with me, church? Listen to me very carefully. I say, what are you saying, Steve? I want to say that we have reduced the baptism of the Holy Spirit down to something less than it is. Because if you're born again, you've got the Spirit. But He poured out His Spirit on all flesh. And when that happens, it goes deeper. But let me just enlarge your thinking theologically. We talk about the Holy Spirit. When I'm baptised in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and fills me. Can I just visually, this water, right now. That's what we think baptism is. 
that water entered me. But he actually says, you've heard of the baptism of John, the baptism of water. But I'm many days, not many days from now, I'm going to baptise you in the Holy Ghost. When John baptised people in water and when we're baptised in water, we don't have some water, a little bit of water in a glass come into us. Water is not coming into us. We are fully immersed into the water. We go into the water, every part of us is wet. Not one part of us is left. We are gone under. And the very word baptism means to immerse. And it actually means to go in and you take on the nature of what you went into. The picture in the Bible is one of a cloth, a white cloth that goes into a red dye and it's pushed right under the dye and it's moved around and it's all under every part. And when you pull the white cloth out, it's now red. That's baptism. Baptism is not a little bit of the Spirit coming into me, but I've got that. Now I wanna go fully into the Holy Ghost. I wanna be in the Spirit of God. I don't wanna be in the flesh. I don't wanna be in my mind. I don't wanna be in my own understanding. Come on, I don't wanna be in my own desires, my own thoughts. I want to be in the Spirit. I'm preaching to you right now, not in my own understanding. I'm not in the flesh. Man, I could get up here and preach by myself and I could preach a good work, but that wouldn't change your life. What changes your life when I pray, when I preach, when Sally prays, is when we are in the Spirit. You know what I say? We're always in the Spirit. Rubbish. Rubbish. I'm not always. I can be one minute in the Spirit, the next one in the flesh. And so can you. In one hour, we can be in Spirit, flesh, Spirit, flesh. Is anyone hearing me? I'm sure you are, I'm yelling. But when Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, oh, the Jesus said to him, you are so blessed because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You've got revelation from heaven. Why? Because you're in the Spirit right now. You're not thinking logically or naturally. You are thinking with the mind of Christ. And the Lord commended him and says, you are so blessed because you're in the Spirit. Six Verses later, that is Matthew 16, verse 17. Matthew 16, verse 23, Jesus is saying, oh, I have to go to the cross. And Peter, thinking he's protecting Jesus, says, you don't need to go. You shouldn't go to the cross. He's trying to be kind to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him with love and said, get behind me, Satan. Because you do not have in mind the things of God right now. <laughs> You right now are back into your own thinking. You have merely human concerns. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It goes from you're blessed because you're getting revelation because you're in the Spirit and now you're speaking naturally. He says, don't leave until you're baptised in the Holy Spirit. You've gone fully into water and something powerful happened. Now I need you to go into the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us as believers. But are we in the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 6, 18. It says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers. Just hear the word of the Lord, people. Again, no redundant statements. No redundant statements. In the same way, they're all together in one accord saying two things. Why does it say, and pray in the Spirit? Why does it say, and pray on all occasions? It's not there just as a redundant statement. Please hear the word of the Lord. Here's the reality. 
Paul knows that many, many, many times when we pray, I'm not condemning you, I'm saying me. I'm saying me even now. Many times when we pray, we're not in the spirit, we're just praying because that's what we do. That's what I want. I mean, grace is a great example. If you say grace, you can, it just comes off the tongue because that's what we always say. It's not a thought about God. It's what we do. No, when you pray, pray in the Spirit. Come on, get into the Spirit. God, what's on your heart right now? Come on, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. Come on, first thing about the Lord's Prayer, teach us to pray. Okay, stop thinking about your problems. Don't start with give me today what I want because that ain't the Spirit, that's the flesh. No, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. I wanna come into your throne room of grace. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Lord, this is about what you want, not about what I want. In this situation of God, I'm not just gonna ask you to change this and change that, but I wanna get on your page. I want to be in the Spirit. So when I'm praying, I'm praying according to your will because God answers what God births. Hallelujah. I'm going to jump down one more verse, John 15, verse 5. You might know it very clearly. Are you doing okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You good? Hallelujah. John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We miss the truth because it's so right in our face. I know that God's going to remain in me because He'll never leave me or forsake me. But it's not a redundant statement for Jesus to say, hey, if you remain in me. This is so clear. I pray it's not going over your head. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll live in you. But will you live in me? God is looking for a people that will once again live in Christ. Christ lives in you, but do you live in Christ? The Spirit lives in me, but do I live in the Spirit? Attribute number three. Just before I say that, our responses declare whether we're in the Spirit or not. How you respond in that conversation declares whether you're in the Spirit or not. How we respond when we're tempted declares whether we're in the Spirit or not. Can I just say this? Please listen to, and this is me as much as you. Every time I give into temptation or you give into temptation, it's because we're not in the Spirit. It's that simple. How could Jesus overcome? Because he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was remained in the Spirit. And he declared the Word of God it is written. Attribute number three. Be on your guard against distractions and be open to God's redirections. Oh God, help me. Chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. But let me give you the context once again. Just before the scripture goes up, please hear this. Jesus has just said, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait because you're about to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many people think that would be a significant day and a significant conversation with the Lord? Then we all quote chapter, uh, verse 8. But you will be, you know, <laughs> you'll be, um, what does it say? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he's just said, you're going to receive the baptism. And then in verse 8, we know he's talking about it. And then you've got these couple little verses in between. He's just told them about the filling of the Holy Ghost and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That should be the reason, that should be the focus of their conversation. And here's their response. It is, here's his response. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times. Because they, their, their first question, I should have had it up there before. I'm sorry, I've got the, their, their first words out of their mouth is, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And they go, how about Israel? What are you going to do over there? I know a lot of Christians like that right now. I got to know a lot of Christians that are so focused on, and I'm not downplaying anything, please hear my heart here. Spend so much time talking about end times and what's going to happen and this theology and that theology and wanting to work out what's right. We have got Christians having arguments with each other in person and online backwards and forwards, trying to work out what God says. Um, It's not for you. Put the scripture back up, please, friends. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be on your guard against distractions and be open to God's redirections. Do you notice that Jesus didn't answer what was going to happen in Israel? He just said, come on, back on track. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. If I could call Christians to many to one thing right now is come on back on track. That God set the focus of our lives, our intentions, our pursuit, our eyes, our ears. You might say, but hang on, it's in front of us. It it gets our attention, so we just follow it. We just we just get caught up in it. Come on, a lot of us in this room, it's there, so we we enter into it, we engage in it, we get caught up in it. And the Lord said to me, not everything that gets your attention should be given your attention. Hmm. Staying on track with with what God authors is one of the hardest things for Christians to do. But the Lord showed me that this word distraction, we think it's in this context. God's talking about the Holy Spirit. They say, how about Israel? Israel. And the Lord brings them back to, come on, let's get back about talking about the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? Are you seeing how clear this is? And we think distraction is God's talking about this, and we just come over to this, which is not, not harmful, it's not sinful, it's just something different. And the Lord showed me that many times distraction starts as exactly that. Maybe we're giving our time to, we're just getting absorbed in sports and watching more sports and, and hobbies and, and talking about things and end times and, and not, not bad things, but we keep on giving our time to those things and they are not wrong. But if God is trying to get our attention on something else, the good actually can be the very thing that derails. And the Lord said to me, it starts as doing something different than what you should be doing. But if you keep on doing that, please hear the word of the Lord right now. It will go from just doing something different, but it will actually become distraction, distraction, dis, the absence or removal of traction, power provided for movement. God will only give the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives to be able to do what the Holy Spirit is authoring us to do. 
And many times in our lives, we feel like I've got no power and I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm doing this and this and this. But if God has called you to do this, He's provide power for this. And the church is full of people that are not doing bad things, but they're not doing what God authored. I move in power in the Holy Ghost in meetings or when I'm talking to people. The power is only on what God offered. If he says, Steve, sit down now and I keep on going, I'm on my own. God wouldn't be like that. Of course God would be like that. In him we live and move. It's not about us. Self-sufficiency is an enemy to the people of God. Amen. Jumping down, I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to read it, so don't, don't put it up, guys. But you know in Hebrews where it talks about seeing as we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Come on, guard against distractions. It says throw it off. We shouldn't be having conversations with the devil. We should be rejecting the devil. Don't have conversations with things God says get rid of. Get rid of it. The longer you delay, the more likely you will disobey. When God speaks, we obey. Otherwise, we'll find years down the track, we're still out of place. But throw off every weight and the sin. Not every weight is sin. Amen. Number four, be willing to lay down your life for the cause of Christ wherever you go. Be willing to lay down your life for the cause of Christ wherever you go. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Lord showed me in this passage here, we've reduced witnesses down to what we would naturally do like in a court case. A witness is someone that testifies about what they've seen. And that is one half of what this word means. But the word witness, you will be, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Put it in your own language. You'll be my witnesses in your marriage, in your family, in your kids, in your school, in your workplace, in border town, in South Australia. Are you with me, church? But when? When the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And we think, I've got to testify about Jesus. And we most certainly do. I'm going to end up there in a moment. But that is only one part, and it's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word for witness is the word spelled M-A-R-T-Y-S, and it is the word martyrs. The word witness literally means one who is willing to lay down their life for something. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you are willing to literally lose your life, lose your reputation, lose your friends. We are living in a time, this is a holy call in Australia, that there is a dividing line coming for many believers and many churches. How we would define marriage, how we would define gender, they're just issues. They are dividing lines that are you willing to lay down your life to come back to God's original? Because when you receive power in the Holy Ghost, you'll be able to lay down your life. 
Sally and I have honestly talked about visiting each other in prison if it comes to that. And I'm not, I'm actually being genuine with you. Because I'm not ashamed. God created the male and female. He hasn't created them ever since. And I want to tell you right now that God's design is the only design where freedom is found. It doesn't preach politically correct, but it is biblically. And the Bible says, no, the truth, the truth will set you free. Marriage is between a male and a female. Full stop. And God says, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to sway. You're going to sway. And we've got Christians and, and churches swaying. And we call it love. It's not love. The Bible says about Jesus in John 1.14, that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold the glory of God. And He came full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. Some people say, oh, I'm all about the grace, grace, grace. Grace without truth is not grace, it's called license. Truth without grace is not truth, it's called legalism. But grace and truth, both in its fullness, is where liberty and freedom is found in Jesus' name. Jesus said to a woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you, grace and mercy, but go and sin no more. I will call it as it is. It is sin that is called truth. And that woman went away in freedom. We need to come back to God's way. God's way works. Our way is messing up the planet. Be willing to lay down your life. God's been speaking to me recently. He says, Steve, I'm giving you a message. I'm calling you to speak to the church and call the church. Young people, listen to me. Older people, listen to me. God says, I'm, I, I need you to call the church back to dying. We want life and freedom and bless me and everything's cool and wonderful. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, the followers, students. Anyone here a student, follower of Jesus Christ? And it's not a true question. Come on. If you're unashamed, put your hand up really high. This is us. Come on, church. High. Come on. If we can't put our hand up high in church, you're not going to survive out there. I don't want to rebuke you and reprimand you in a harsh way. I just got to call it as it is. We have many people that even in church were embarrassed to do something. What hope do we have in the world? What hope does the world have if Christians can't even stand up amongst other Christians? I feel this passionately because it's not about me. And respectfully, it's not about you. It's about the glory and the reputation of God. And it's being damaged every time we let the world determine truth. And we call it your truth, my truth. Rubbish. It's called demonic. It's of the devil. He started as an archangel, but he wanted to get the glory. He wanted to call the shot. He wanted to say what was right or wrong. Hasn't changed since. God spoke clearly to Adam and Eve, don't touch there. And the devil comes, well, does God, did he really say that? Questioning what God said. And isn't that what's happening in the church today? Let's not, we, we, we don't embrace truth. We debate truth now. Surely God couldn't mean what he said. That's not loving, that's not kind. So we have to reduce it to something palatable. Since when has palatable helped anybody? 
God said to me, I am called the church to be a nice church in this generation. I've called them to be a powerful church. I've called them to be one who has something that's giving away that is worth dying for. Christians who live fighting for their rights are no help to the world. We can't live for Christ if we won't die to self. We won't reflect Christ if we don't live sent. And number five. I'm giving my all to you today. My prayer is that you'll give all to God today. Number five, be embracing of anything and everything that God chooses to do. Be embracing of anything and everything that God chooses to do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, it says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. Listen to the language. It was something like that. We can't even articulate what exactly it was. It was like a sound. Listen, 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 listen. This is deep. And they saw what seemed to be. We can't even give language to what's happening right now. It seemed to be tongues that are on fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, 120 of them people, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We know this passage, we can quote this passage, we're so familiar, but the people that were in the room had never heard of any of it before. There was no rule book for it. There was no run sheet for it, dare I say. There was nothing in the plan. And they say, we can't even tell you what went on. We got people in the church say, when God's moving, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. We'd rather stand back and be in control of our own logic and understanding. They say, God, I don't understand, but clearly you're doing something. I'm in boots and all. I want to tell you, I am a fanatical, radical Christian that says, God, I want to take all that you want. I am a spiritual glutton, church. I have been filled and I want more. I am feasting and I want more. Every day, God, fill me, Lord. I fill me, Lord. I want more of you. That's fanatical. That's normal Christianity. Why would the world want something that most Christians are satisfied to settle with what they had 10 years ago? I had an awesome steak with these guys yesterday. It ain't the last time I'm ever going to eat. I can tell you that right now. Yet a lot of Christians live like I had it. I'm good. Hallelujah. Some people celebrated them and other people mocked them. People on the streets heard it. Come on the, the, the church 
in recent decades is starting to come back now. It's got all about seeker sensitive to the point of don't, if unbelievers walk in, make sure you're not doing anything that's going to make them uncomfortable. And that is why many non-Christians are still non-Christians because God didn't came to make people comfortable. He came to save them from death and sin. And the only way he could save them was say, this is sin and you need a saviour. There was nothing seeker sensitive about the day of Pentecost. And I'll tell you the result. Peter got up. He preached with boldness and authority because Jesus said that would happen. You'll get boldness when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And he preached Jesus with such power and such conviction and even said to the people there, you're the ones who killed him. Again, it's not very pastoral and it's not very caring. Like get behind me, Satan is not. But sometimes people need a confrontation with truth, not just a nice little wishy-washy. And the result is 3,000 people got added to the church on the first day. Hallelujah. This, this point is be, be embracing of anything and everything God chooses to do. Here's a news alert, and I'm almost done. God doesn't need our permission to be God. If I could have a conversation with some of you face to face, and I know there's many in this room that are really glad that I'm not going to. <clears throat> Mate, you should have met Jesus. I would say God doesn't need my permission to be God. God doesn't need my permission to be God. And when I'm praying for people, is there someone that's been blind for a while? I'm not going to spit on the ground, make some mud and slap it in their face because I just wouldn't be comfortable with that. But I'm not going to tell Jesus you can't do that. But we do. Holy Ghost is breaking out and people have been in touch with God. And dare I say it in church, people even start to laugh when we say that's disrespectful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And the same people complain about joy in the church will go out and party in a nightclub and jump and laugh their heads off. Come back to God's way. Let God be God. Someone needs to pray for me. I've got a headache. Let's preach Jesus. Let's preach Jesus. Let's preach Jesus. Let's preach Jesus. Peter preached Jesus and people got saved. I'm preaching Jesus, but I'm saying it's all, it's all, it's all in. It's all in. It's all in. Mike, if you would come back to the keys, that would be awesome, brother. I knew you were waiting for that. Can I have a, another one? Thank you. Just keep it nice and not too busy, brother. Thank you so much for your serving. I'm almost done and we're about to do something that is different, but the Holy Spirit had me awake in the middle of the night talking to me. And then again at 5.30 in the morning, I told you that God lives outside of time and apparently he has no concept of time. But he did it for you. So I pray you'll receive it from me. 
We need to preach Jesus. In John 12, 32 and 33, it says, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. But he said this to talk about the type of death he would hang, die on a cross. And I heard the Lord say to me one day, the literal interpretation of when I am lifted up from the earth, I said, Jesus will draw people to myself. He said, there's a prophetic statement in there. And it says, watch this church. Jesus says to us, man, we come up with all the best programs and events and plans. And if we can get people this way and that way, hooks. And now Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, when you lift me up, Jesus says, I'll draw people to myself. And the church has got derailed by a focus of trying to draw people to Jesus. And He says, stop that. That's my responsibility. You lift me up. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. Anyone who comes to Him has eternal life. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.